Hi, it's Bob Safian. You've been hearing me as the host of Rapid Response in this feed for a few years now with short newsy interviews alongside the deeper dives of Masters of Scale. Well, I'm excited to share that Rapid Response is expanding into its own feed. We'll be putting out shows twice a week, focusing on the urgent issues that business leaders are dealing with in real time. So search for Rapid Response in your podcast player and subscribe to make sure you get all our episodes. I'll see you on the other side. It has been a ride the last few years. We're seeing affordability be at the worst it's been in 15 years. People want to be on the move. We're seeing that post-pandemic. There is more thinking about, well, where could I be? And where else could I live? And what else can I try? The dream is that people are more mobile. It is one of America's pastimes. Real estate always has been. I think one of the areas or the pitfalls is you get too caught up in the now. And so as you're prioritizing, you really have to be thinking about what is the strategy, not just for 2023, but for looking forward. You have these companies who have been just focused on like, oh my God, it's raining. How do we not get wet? <laughs> when the sun comes out, they're behind. Those are the lessons learned. That's Susan Daimler, president of Zillow, the eight-plus billion-dollar real estate platform. As interest rates have shot up this year, the red-hot housing market has abruptly cooled, with mortgage costs jumping and bidding wars evaporating. I'm Bob Safian, former editor of Fast Company, founder of the Flux Group, and host of Masters of Scale Rapid Response. I wanted to talk to Susan because there's no better lens to look at sudden market gyrations than real estate. Lots of businesses have faced unexpected turnabouts in 2022, but as Susan describes it, those twists have got to be built into your strategy and your approach. At Zillow, she explains, the emphasis remains on the future for the company and for its customers. In fact, she argues, slower times are actually great opportunities to improve your offerings, which in Zillow's case revolves around something they call the housing super app. Susan acknowledges that the company overreached in some areas during the go-go housing boom, but in the big picture, she says, that actually helped Zillow refocus on its mission to make real estate transactions faster, simpler, and more equitable. She says that following every market blip is just distracting for homeowners and for the Zillow team. The key takeaway, that even in a tough economic cycle, there's plenty of progress to be made. We'll start the show in a moment after a word from our premier brand partner, Capital One Business. I woke up in the middle of the night because I had this nightmare that we were front page news that we've done the stupidest mistake of our life by making this pivot. <laughs> That's Aparna Saran. Chief Marketing Officer for Capital One Business, and she's recalling a moment from her previous position at Capital One when she was heading up a team designing a new business card. We had just made the decision to go all in and sunset the prior version of the product, which was honestly the cash cow for our business. When we made that decision within a senior leadership meeting, 
as someone who had been on the journey to build this out for five plus years, it was really exciting. But by the time the weekend hit, I started to feel the responsibility and the pressure. We are taking this big bet on something that I've built. Perhaps you've been there. You've made a pivotal decision and then panic sets in. How would Aparna calm her butterflies and steer her team through this pivot? We'll find out later in the show. It's all part of the Refocus Playbook, a special series where Capital One Business highlights stories of business owners and leaders using one of Reed's theories of entrepreneurship. Today's Playbook Insight, have multiple plan Bs. I'm Bob Safian, and I'm here with Susan Daimler, the president of Zillow. Susan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Bob. Great to be here. The real estate market has been kind of topsy-turvy the last few years, you know, with wild demand spikes for some home markets during COVID, and then Suddenly, a turnabout, sharp rise in interest rates, mortgage costs. Your business at Zillow is about real estate, facilitating information and transactions. Can you try to level set for us where we are in the real estate cycle? Is that even something we can say with confidence anymore because things move so quickly? It has been a ride the last few years, just as you said. Lots of dynamic changing and the most overused word from the last three years, but we keep running into unprecedented areas that we've never seen before. And right now, that's with mortgage rates that are just rising at a speed that we haven't seen previously. And it feels quite jarring, especially if you're in the midst of trying to buy a home. But I think we're optimistic that next year will at least be a bit more stable. We've had lots of ups and downs and that we're going to reach at least a place that is a bit more balanced and people will have a better feeling and security about what is happening at the moment. And that likely will continue for the future. The dynamic between buyers and sellers is sort of shifting where the balance of power is in certain ways, right? And that balance of power is shifting, but the problem is the mortgage rates. A couple of years ago, last year, home prices through the roof and incredible competition for folks trying to buy homes. That was the big problem. Now we're seeing inventory stabilize. We're seeing pricing stabilize. But now we're seeing affordability be at the worst it's been in 15 years. That is really hampering buyers' opportunities to get in the market. So while there might be a lot less competition and they're no longer in a bidding war. If you're looking at a $350,000 home, for example, a 6% mortgage rate versus a 3% mortgage rate means an extra $500 a month that you're paying. That has become the hurdle of the moment. I live in Brooklyn, which I understand you do too. And as you're talking here, I'm thinking to myself, now is not a good time for me to be buying a bigger home or looking for a place for my kids or whatever. Is that right? Now's the time that you just sit tight. I mean, is that what you're seeing in your business, that things are just stopping because of this? Yeah, certainly not stopping. I mean, what we always say about housing is housing is incredibly durable. People always have to move for various reasons. No matter what happens, let's say next year with the housing market, millions of people will in fact move millions of people will buy and sell homes. And sometimes that's dependent on 
who has to versus who wants to, right? And so maybe you're in a spot where you're like, oh, that's interesting, but I'm going to wait and see what happens where for other folks, they don't have that luxury and they need to move. They need to get a bigger place or they need to accommodate for an in-law or a new job. So I think it's really buyer dependent on that. It's also an interesting time to look at rentals. Again, like the market balancing has lots of different impacts in there. And so you'll start to see people maybe look for more rental space while they wait to see what happens with the market. The obsession and attention on real estate has also turned, one of my colleagues was talking about how Zillow has become like Instagram. Family members who spend time on there as like sort of fun or shopping or whatever. There's been like a cultural adjustment with real estate. Zillow has become, it is the Instagram. It's the place to dream. It's the place to think about what you might want to do, what you can do, what your neighbors are doing. There is a voyeurism about real estate that I think everyone's always had. Zillow certainly feeds into that. You've got now also all these spoofs. You've got like Zillow gone wild. I mean, look, they're channels on TV that are 100% dedicated to homes and renovations. Like it is one of America's pastimes, real estate. It always has been. Zillow definitely helps with that. Back to your home search, Bob, it is a great time to really stay on top of the market. And it's what we're doing at Zillow. We're keeping our eye on the horizon. We know that there are going to be ebbs and flows in the market, but we're always going to come out of them you as a buyer need to think the same way and be ready to pounce. But it's a really great time to be active in the market and understand it and what is it you really want. Because then when it does come on and it is the right time that you can really get after it and you can win. How do your priorities in running Zillow adjust when, you know, the environment shifts like this? There are a couple things we know that we are solving this authentic problem that people have. That authentic problem is it is really challenging regardless of what the market is doing. The market is just another variable on top of what is already a really challenging thing for people to go do, which is move, which is to buy and sell. It is the most expensive thing people do in their entire lives, the most money they'll ever spend on something. It is highly emotional, and it is in a really fragmented, non-digitized, analog process that is challenging. And that is what we are trying to solve. We look at the market. We look at products that are built for specific market dynamics. We say, do we still see the need for those? Like that was something that customers were clamoring for at a time where they were in bidding wars. Are they still clamoring for that? Is that something that we need to build in the next one year, the next two years, the next three years? I think one of the areas or the pitfalls is you get too caught up in the now. And that's something Zillow is always doing is building for the future, not for the now. So as you're prioritizing, you really have to be thinking about what is the solution? What is the strategy not just for 2023, but looking forward, because if you're constantly pivoting to try and adjust to the market, you will spend all your time reprioritizing, all your time really jarring your employees about your strategy 
where it's much easier to ground it and say, this is where we're headed, whatever we're going into. Maybe it's going to be a rainstorm, maybe it's going to be a hailstorm, whatever it is. When we come out of it, we need to be best positioned and we feel great about where we are now. Several real estate firms have been doing layoffs recently. You guys did some last year. What did you see or experience that others didn't? Our layoffs were back in November and December, were really tied to us closing down our iBuying business. This is Zillow Offers. This is where Zillow was the first party in buying and selling homes. So we were actually the ones who were putting our capital forth and buying homes, reselling them after renovating them. And it was a business that was just way too risky, way too volatile, and just served too few customers for us. That volatility is really, really difficult as the market is topsy-turvy. And so we feel at this moment really great that we're not in that anymore. It was a really challenging time. And one of the things we prioritize is this making sure our employees know where we're headed. I made that comment about it can be so jarring for employees if you're constantly trying to chase what's happening yesterday or what you think is going to happen in two days, that becomes really difficult for employees because their work keeps changing. And you keep saying, hey, no, now we need you to look at this. Oh, now we need you to focus on this. That's not a great dynamic for employees. You really need to put out that strategy, make sure that they understand the work that they do, why it's important, how it contributes, and that keeps that very like steady, productive pace. Communicating to employees is as challenging as it's ever been. And the more that you change what you're communicating to them, the more you hold the company back from moving forward. And the iBuying initiative, you were taking advantage of a particular enthusiasm that was in the marketplace, but you kind of realized that maybe that wasn't the differentiating characteristic of your business that you wanted for the future. Maybe that wasn't the risk profile you wanted. I mean, because I know you have recently partnered with Opendoor to offer that same kind of product, but you're not the ones who are taking the risk on it anymore. You got it. And that is the big difference maker. I think we feel really comfortable and confident in our decision to get out of the business ourselves. But one of our beliefs is we want to offer customers as many opportunities and options as we can. And that option to sell your home quickly without having to stage it or paint it or have open houses and know what money you have to buy your next home with certainty, right? That's what Zillow offers. We don't want the 200 million people a month who come to Zillow not to have that option. And so partnering with Opendoor enables us, Zillow, not to have to be directly in this business that is not for us while still enabling our customers to have that opportunity. And something we learned from being in it ourselves is that it was a bit narrow. And what I mean by that is most customers don't end up doing that. It's a great option. And for those who don't, Zillow is able to offer them working with one of our premier agents, getting financing from us. We are able to engage with them on all the other options. And what we're trying to do with this idea of this housing super app is 
there's lots of ways to engage in the Zillow ecosystem. It sounds like it was kind of a hard lesson or maybe a reminder, I guess, about sort of what the core purpose of your business was, right? There was a near-term opportunity to make some incremental revenue through the buying and selling process yourselves. And now you've realized really your focus is on this super app. Can you explain that sort of transition and I guess what you see the super app definition of Zillow being? I'd say too on that, as you talk about prioritizing, how do you know when to move forward? I think a lot of companies would have been, frankly, scared to just pull out altogether. I think one of the temptations is to have a lot of different irons in the fire. That's how you make sure you've got all your bases covered. And like, well, if we leave that flank exposed, what will happen, right? And so I think us getting out of it shows one of the fundamental things that I love about Zillow is this confidence in the bigger picture and this confidence in we can't be everything to everyone, but we can still offer everything to everyone. There's a big difference in those two things. And with that being so customer-led and so customer-centric, it really enables you to do something special. And so the Housing Super app is that. Building an ecosystem that is fixing all these terribly fragmented, archaic ways of working in real estate. So a great example is touring. We all want to tour homes before we see them, right? You want to go touch, you want to go see, you want to go experience. Right now, touring is kind of stuck in the dark ages. Like it's a really analog process that involves maybe four different people having multiple phone text conversations just to get you, Bob, and your son and an agent at the same time at a home. It's all this back and forth. We are on our way to making touring a home just as easy as booking a restaurant reservation. With that same click of a button, that amazingly doesn't exist right now in the housing market. And then when you think about putting that together with other point solutions like financing, meeting an agent, and putting them all together into this one ecosystem to really help customers get through that journey that is so emotional and challenging to get into the home that they love. It does sound archaic when you talk about it that way. Like, it really does. It's like, wait, that doesn't exist? How, how can that not exist? And same thing, archaic. I mean, you think about if you've gotten a mortgage recently, right? Like you sit down with a pen in front of 10,000 pieces of paper that you need to sign in person. These pieces of real estate, for a lot of the things that we have moved forward, there are a lot of them that are just still stuck. And so we are looking to unstick those, bring them into the modern age, the digitized age, and then really make this more digital plus human dynamic way of transacting. Is part of the theory of the case that if it's simpler to buy and sell and there are fewer costs and there's less friction, we'll all just do it more often? Yeah, that is the hope. Real estate is also not inherently equitable. Being a first-time home buyer is really challenging. And we are aiming to level that playing field. Everyone deserves that ability to own a home. And we are also leaning into that idea 
of, yes, if it is easier, if I find the right people to help me through that process, if I understand all these pieces, yes, it will be easier. I will be more inclined to do it. And I think we're seeing now, too, people also want to be on the move. We're seeing that post-pandemic is there is more thinking about, well, where could I be and where else could I live and what else can I try? And, you know, as also companies become more flexible, like I think the dream is that people are more mobile. We'll be back in a moment after a word from our premier brand partner, Capital One Business. There was panic that set in that night because I didn't want to let people down. We're back with Aparna Saran of Capital One Business. She was recalling the time she woke up in a cold sweat, terrified that the new product she had been working on might fail. So the next morning, she sat down and wrote an email. It was Sunday morning, and I said, you know what? I'm going to just, like, share this with my peers. It was very emotional. It was, like, sort of a cry for help. Aparna realized that if the new product didn't take off, she needed a plan B, preferably multiple plan Bs. I'm inviting them to be the thought partners so that we are mitigating as much risk as possible and we have contingency plans in place as we make this move. You write something like this and your heart is pounding, should I send this? It was a super vulnerable moment for me. But then I was like, I'm going to just send this. Like, what's the worst that will happen? It can't be worse than being on the front page of the newspaper. So she held her breath and hit send. What happened next would surprise even her. We'll hear about that later in the show. It's all part of Capital One Business's Spotlight on Business Leaders, following Reed's Refocus Playbook. Before the break, we heard Zillow President Susan Daimler talk about the gyrations underway in the housing market and how the company has been adapting. Now she talks about the balance between adjusting to market conditions and holding firm to a long-term strategy. She also talks about the perils of watching every interest rate move made by the Fed and the advantages of working at a founder-led company. Plus, she shares lessons about the constraints that come with scaling and how hard problems can bring a team together. You came to Zillow via an acquisition when your company, Bifolio, was acquired by Zillow. You also co-founded SeatGuru in the travel business. And both of those startups began in less than auspicious environments for those sectors, right? After 9-11 for SeatGuru, in the middle of the Great Recession for Bifolio. What lessons have you drawn from operating in those challenging times as you faced the challenging moments that Zillow has? I think it goes back to that idea of identifying this authentic problem and going to solve it you can get pretty thrown off if you get caught up in what is happening right now. Seat Guru is like a great example of that where exactly, like it was born at a time where air travel was really struggling, but travel is also durable. And sure enough, Zillow will follow the same. When you get through those challenging times, people are even more wanting transparency. They're coming at it from this point of, how do I understand this better? How do I interact with this industry better? And if you're there, ready, 
and waiting because you've been building and working towards it during these uncertain times, you are so well positioned. You have these companies who have been just focused on, oh my God, it's raining. How do we not get wet? <laughs> when the sun comes out, they're behind. Those are the lessons learned. And Zillow is very much on that same path. I could see some people being frustrated by being in businesses where you're so dependent on external factors and you're impacted by things that are not in your control. And I'm curious how you deal with that frustration. At the same time, you, you almost make it sound like it's an opportunity. If other people get frustrated by that and you don't, that opens doors for you. Yeah, it does. It's about staying the course and controlling what you can control. And I think if you focus on the controllable, especially in these times, it will really benefit you at the end. And there's always going to be uncontrollable factors. But these like roller coasters, you got to just ride that. You kind of got to ride the middle line. And it is huge opportunity. And Zillow is particularly positioned to take advantage of it. We have $3.6 billion in cash. We feel just in a good place to keep investing. And that is a luxury and that's an advantage. There's a ton of pressure testing along the way, but not that jarring jerk in the car to the left or to the right. You've got to keep going forward. There have been a lot of businesses that saw certain kinds of momentum during the pandemic that they kind of assumed, oh, this is going to continue forever. And then it hasn't necessarily happen that way. We refer to it as the rubber band, kind of got pulled one way <laughs> really hard, and now we're kind of snapping back the other way. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, but we probably all should have seen a lot of this stuff was, was what was coming. And in keeping track of where you are and where the future is going to be, there's so much focus on the Fed and what Powell will say or do next. Do you watch that stuff really intently, like on a day-to-day -day basis, looking to get an edge or try to f ascertain what's next? Or are there other principles, other data points that you focus on? It's back to like, what can you control? We can't control that stuff. What we can control is the customer experience. What happens when someone comes to our platform? What happens when they work with one of our partner agents? And so we spend the majority of our time making those experiences better. Of course, we keep track of the housing market and what we think is going to happen, but we really dedicate the majority of our time to, again, that housing super app and improving the overall process. But you're not sitting there like refreshing your phone when Powell is-, is No, 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 definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> it is distracting to leadership, to employees, to the strategy. You work for a founder, CEO Rich Barton. That can be a great inspiration for a company. A founder often casts a big presence on the rest of the leadership team and the rest of the organization. I'm curious if you have advice about working for a founder at a founder-led business, especially as you've been a founder yourself, sort of what's different about working for a founder versus being a founder? We've known the founders of Zillow, Rich and Lloyd, for a long time. And it is their ethos that brought us here and has kept us here. And I think when Zillow acquired Bifolio a decade ago, 
there was no way that we were going to be here a decade later because it was we're entrepreneurs and we're founders and we can't work at a big company like that doesn't work. When we came here, it was 400 employees. We're now at 6,500. So have, you know, been here through this incredible scale and growth. But what we've learned is under the right leadership and with the right founders, that entrepreneurialism continues. It doesn't stop with the size of the company. It's built into the ethos of the company. The beauty of founders is this passion, investment for the problem and for the company. And I think if you have the right founders, that's a pretty special part of the recipe for success. Are there different tools to reinforce entrepreneurialism when you're at thousands versus at hundreds? Or is it more consistent application of those tools and those approaches, not letting those drop? That's a great question. I mean, it's your whole podcast, right? Everything gets harder at scale. I think it has to be embedded in your culture to make sure it doesn't drop. And you need to be hiring people at all levels all the time who have that quality and who know that the company values that quality and values failure and values big swings. Those are the most important things. Having employees feel empowered to take risks, which is what founders do, right? That is why they become who they are and that employees feel that same empowerment. And I think some companies don't accept that. So I think that is something you constantly have to reinforce and even celebrate at some level. It can't always be about the wins because I think the bigger you get, the more constraints it can feel like the company has, the teams have, the product has. And the key is to really bring in those people who do not feel those constraints and feel empowered to continue to reimagine and sometimes rebuild what's been done. You really need this combination of legacy folks who understand the business, remember what worked, what didn't work. And you got to combine that with this constant new, fresh eyes on how we might go solve problems. That's our favorite thing is when new folks come into the room and pressure test the founders, the leaders with the simple question of like, why do we do it this way? <laughs> and you're like, that's a great question. <laughs> and we should talk about that. So I think that's how you keep it infused in the culture. But you have to keep an eye on it. You have to nurture it. It sounds like it's as much about recruiting and the humans that you choose as it is the systems that you have once they're here. It is both of those things for sure. The humans are a huge part of it and the system has to support them, but they have to have that, we call it that maverick quality in them as well. And to be clear, you can't have all mavericks because that's a, <laughs> that's a whole other ball of chaos but you certainly need to have a good amount of them. There's so many, as we've talked about, twists and turns that have happened in the business. It can get stressful. How do you handle your stress, particularly over the last couple of years where stress has been a heavy on all of us? Work stress is not a big factor for me. I'm very 
one foot in front of the other. How are we going to solve this? And I've been in tech for 20 years. I've been at Zillow for 10. Everything's solvable. And I think you just have to identify what it is. And then you put your heads together and you figure out how to solve it. I think stress can be really paralyzing and then it feeds itself. For me, it's about being action-oriented. You kind of like hard problems. Yeah, I love hard problems. They keep you on your toes and it's how you learn and every problem you solve as a team, every challenging time you go through is something that you learn and it just builds this deeper, stronger foundation that you have to get stronger off of. That just continues to feed on itself. And as you said, these stressful times, the employees feel that as well. It's work. And we're here to control what we can control and do the best job that we can every single day. But it can't always be perfect. And we have to be okay with that. And our employees have to know that as well. Because stressed employees are not productive employees. And when we know what makes this stuff go is people who are engaged, productive, happy, they feel supported. And how do you do that? You help people solve their problems. So what's at stake for Zillow right now? I mean, we have a pretty hairy problem that we're trying to solve. And the problem's big, but what is at stake is that if we solve it, we change real estate for the better. Well, this has been great. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. And now, a final word from our brand partner, Capital One Business. Throughout the day, text messages and emails kept pouring in. Whatever you need, just let us know. We're back one more time with Aparna Saran of Capital One Business. She was telling us about a Sunday morning email she fired off in a moment of panic. Minutes later, her inbox was overflowing. And the support she found wasn't just emotional, it was practical. We talked about detailed contingency plans and we created our go-to-market strategy. Before we are in full rollout mode, we are at stage gates so that we could test and quickly learn and iterate. And within a matter of like six months, as we were rolling things out channel by channel, those stage gates would allow us to pivot if we saw something that we didn't like. That day, Aparna learned a lesson that stayed with her. Having multiple plan Bs doesn't just expand your options. It gives you new opportunities. The best way to pivot is actually open doors for thoughtful conversations because humility in knowing that you actually don't know everything as well as the empathy in knowing that disruption is always drastic and abrupt helps you go through that pivot with other people in a very different way. Capital One Business is proud to support entrepreneurs and leaders working to scale their impact from Fortune 500s to first-time business owners. For more resources to help drive your business forward, visit CapitalOne.com slash Business Hub. That's CapitalOne.com slash Business Hub. Masters of Scale Rapid Response is a Wait What original. It's hosted by me, Bob Safian, Masters of Scale's editor-at-large. Masters of Scale host is Reid Hoffman. Our executive producers are June Cohen, Darren Triff, and Jordan McLeod. Our head of content and production is Lori Hoffman. Our producer is Marie McCoy Thompson. Scripts by Alex Morris and Tucker Ligurski. 
Our music director is Ryan Holiday. Original music and sound design by Eduardo Rivera. Audio editing by Keith J. Nelson, Stephen Davies, Andrew Nault, and Mike Gallagher. Mixing and mastering by Aaron Bastinelli. Special thanks to Adam Skuse, Catherine Clark Gray, Emily McManus, Adam Heiner, Colin Howarth, Tim Cronin, Kelsey Capitano, Sammy Aputa, Anna Pizzino, Sarah Tartar, Leah Saramedis, Charlie Manessis, Chinemia Zaquena, Aria Finger, and Saida Sapieva. Visit mastersofscale.com slash rapid response to find the transcript for this episode. And please subscribe to our email newsletter. Become a member of Masters of Scale to get access to a year's worth of courses and content on the Masters of Scale courses app. Find out more at mastersofscale.com slash membership.